Welcome to episode 40 of That Classical Podcast. This time, Strozzi and Luli. Hello. Hello. My name's Chris Bland. My name's Kelly Harlock. You're listening to episode 40 of That Classical Podcast. Welcome, everybody. Now, we've mentioned a few Baroque composers in the past, haven't we, Chris? We have. J.S. Bach. Your favourite person in the world, J.S. Bach. Um, but we've generally focused on the kind of big boys, the big boy pants <laughs> of uh, the, the Baroque era. Exactly. The big famous A-team Baroque composers. So we thought today we'd explore the little ones, the, the guys that you don't really hear much about, but actually had some, had some cracking tunes back in the day. Very exciting. Starting with a lady that I have mentioned before called Barbara Strozzi. Barbara Streisand. Ba- yes. Oh, I love, love a bit of Barb's. <laughs> but um, Barbara Strozzi, I actually talked about her in our, I think it was our Baroque episode, mm, specifically yeah, yeah. on the Baroque era a few, Indeed. few months ago. So today I thought, you know what, let's flesh her out a bit as the saying goes <laughs> and let's, let's hear a few of her finest bangers. So you know what that means. It's time for... The 60 Second Show. Oh, yes, indeedy. Kelly, are you ready to tell us all about Babs, Barbara, Babstraws, Bstraws in 60 seconds? I'm going to do my utmost (laughs) to deliver this. Three, two, one, go! Barbara Strozzi was born in Venice in 1619. She was the adopted and perhaps illegitimate daughter of the renowned poet Giulio Strozzi. Her mum was most likely a servant in his household. And yes, it's basically Downton Abbey, but in Renaissance Venice. Barbs was brought up in, the, in intellectual circles in Venice thanks to her hipster dad. And when he realised she was pretty excellent at music, he arranged for a leading opera composer, Francesco Cavalli, to teach her. And she quickly developed a bloody brilliant singing voice and a knack for composing. In 1637, Barbara's dad basically made an academy for her, where she performed <laughs> regularly and was the sort of queen bee in the star attraction. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? The members of the academy would often give her bits of poetry and say, yo, Barbara, write us a song then if you're so good. And she slashed it, obviously, and eventually published her own set of magicals in 1644. She was actually one of the first women to ever publish music under her own name and would write over eight more collections of songs over the next 20 years. She mostly composed arias and cantatas, I'll explain those in a moment, and about a whole variety of naughty and less naughty topics, and went on to become one of the most prolific composers of secular vocal music in Venice. She had four children by 1651 and she raised them alone by choice, which was pretty much unheard of at the time, and she died aged 58 in 1677. Wow. Yeah. She was. She sounds like an absolute badass. She was such a badass. Can I just tell you the way? Shall I count the ways <laughs> in which Barbara Strozzi was in fact a badass? Please do. Well, basically, Barb's was determined to make music in a time when a woman's place was in the home and mm. beside her husband, her man. Sure, sure. She never got married and she never buckled under what like society expected of her. She was this awesome, intelligent, free spirit. basically. And I just think she's amazing. And yes, arguably, you know, she wouldn't have made a name for herself if her dad hadn't recognised her talents or secured the best teachers or like rustled up an academy. (laughs) However, what else was she supposed to do? Like, no thanks, dad. I'd rather have 17 children and wait on my husband who's probably (laughs) cheating on me with a courtesan down that alleyway. Like, no. And I'm sorry, but her dad was clearly just a loving, caring father. And if you're a dad listening now, please nurture your daughter's talents and support their dreams in a similar way. Thanks. (laughs) You have to build an academy for your daughter. Otherwise, you're a bad father. That's it. It's all or nothing. Um, Now, some people think that Barbara actually may have been a courtesan and I mentioned this in the Baroque episode because there's this amazing picture of her. Can you just define what a courtesan is for those it's, of us who well, don't speak you know, 17th century Italian? Back in the day a courtesan was I want to say the term high class prostitute I mean <laughs> but then it wasn't because courtesans actually were the only women musicians in Venice uh, in the 17th right. century but they were also you know they would sleep with men and they okay. would you know but they were generally considered really artistic intelligent sure. women sure. you know outspoken women mm. but you know bit of bit of uh, you know <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm so British. Anyway, look, people think she might have been one because there's this picture of her where her boob is kind of hanging out. And everyone's like, oh, right, yes, because she was a courtesan. Okay, but cool. <laughs> apparently it could have meant that she was a mother. Sure. And, and, and that she had an artistic temperament, <laughs> which is oh my great God. to know. That's amazing. That should still be the case now. It's like, no, 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 I wasn't sending like nudes. It was to show I have an artistic temperament. Janet Jackson has a really artistic temperament, guys. That's what you that's, have to remember. That's a real timely 12-year-old <laughs> reference there, mate. Um, anyway, so I don't think she was a courtesan. And actually, another reason why people think she might have been was because the rumours of the time, these men that were clearly really jealous of her, mm. you know, if the men, if they were <laughs> probably, can you imagine? The poet Giulio Strozzi invites you to an academy which he's made for his daughter his daughter yeah. is like the only person that can sing that his daughter decides what everyone talks about all day and you're a man and you're like what the hell is going on why is a woman doing this oh she's sure. probably a prostitute you know you can imagine why that- I, I can see how if I were coming from the point of view that uh, that men had in the 17th century in Italy they're perhaps not hyper feminist shall yeah, we say no, yeah not and just going quickly back to something I mentioned in the 60 Seconds, she wrote mostly madrigals, right, mm. which are essentially just songs. And within that madrigal genre, she wrote arias, right. um, which were strophic pieces, meaning okay. that every verse is kind of sung to the same tune, like Mary Had a Little yeah. Lamb, yeah. but better, you know, if you yeah. imagine that. Um, and she also wrote cantatas, which were longer works in which the music changes with the meaning of the text. Do you know, remember we talked about word painting before? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if someone's dancing in a poem... You know, Barbara would be like, let's make it light and silly. And then if someone's having a sad, confused time, they'd be like wandering, you know, restative or something. Cool. So, but so she mainly did vocal music then. Secular vocal music. She was like the person, the famous person in Venice. That's so interesting that she sort of cut against the grain, not only by, you know, being a woman who composed and by only doing vocal music, but that it was sort of specifically secular. I know. Yeah. In a very religious society. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, exactly. Because what she wrote about most was love, (gasps) which brings me... To my first piece. This sounds scandalous. So the first piece that I'm going to talk about is called Lagrime Mie, My Tears. Mm. Or like those tears of mine, if you want to be more dramatic. Keeping things really jolly here yeah, cool, cool, at, cool. at uh, that classical podcast house. So it was written sometime in the 1650s. This one is a cantata. So as I said before, it's it's got the meaning of the words is actually reflected in, in the actual melodies and cool. stuff like that. Got it. But it's actually got various different sections in it. So it's got recitative arioso and aria styles within it. So recitative, as we mentioned before, is basically this free vocal style that's meant to imitate speech. Okay. So it's basically dialogue most of the time in things like operas. Yeah. So then you've got arioso style, which is halfway between recitative and proper, like, this is the melody now. Okay. It's kind of, you're almost there. Mm -hmm. Arioso grande. Exactly. Get out of my house immediately. And then you've got the aria style, which is just like a normal sing-songy. This is a song now. You can follow it. It's an aria kind of sound. Got it. Does that make any sense? That makes lots of sense. Brilliant. (laughs) This piece is sung by a woman, but it's actually a text from the perspective of a man, which I think must have been pretty exciting back in 1650. It's pretty exciting in 2019. It's pretty exciting right now. Um, And in this text, the man's love interest has been locked away from him. Like her dad has kind of locked her away or something in the house. Classic. Classic. And he's in pain, he's depressed, (laughs) and he's like, tears of mine, 
Why do you hold back? Why don't you wash away the pain that takes my breath away and crushes my heart? Just let me die in that sort of classic style. Cool. Yeah, really understated and not melodramatic at all. (laughs) But the whole irony is that like, oh, he's really sad, but he just can't cry. So you can imagine Barb's being like, mate, I'm going to compose the bejeebas out of this. Like, just watch me. And she did. My tears, <laughs> they fall. Well, they don't fall. That's the that's the issue. Oh, my, my tears, like, they don't they? fall. Isn't that beautiful, though? That is really beautiful. Mm. So what I found interesting about that is, so two things, harmonically and texturally, sounds quite a lot different to lots of other Baroque stuff that you're used to, I guess. Okay. So that was, um, well, I mean, usual typical Baroque feature, right, is has a harpsichord, has some mm-hmm. basso continuo. Yeah. And that one sort of had neither. So what was that? Was that a lute and an organ, was it? Yeah, I think, I think Something so. Something like that. Yeah. And so texturally, it just sounded a bit different. And then, I don't know, also harmonically, like the chords just went slightly differently to where I was expecting to. Mm-hmm. The sort of slightly like stuttery singing style is something that I've not really encountered before. It's lots before. of kind of funky little ornaments in there yeah. as well. And I, what I loved is that I found, I find her writing like almost slightly cruel is the wrong word but it's like (laughs) that melody you know that the person in the song was saying oh I can't cry and about this really sad thing and the music itself is like trickling downwards as if it's like tears on someone's face that can't fall I could write a juicy essay on this and it would be it would get at least a C Kelly you could write an AS level (laughs) essay about this anyway so that is the kind of word painting that's that's present throughout the song and Mm. I just think it's absolutely beautiful and like you can see why she was a bit she was a bit of a big deal back in Venice this is that classical podcast next we're bringing the mood back up lads and lassies with something a little playful Um, this piece is called excuse me Amor Dormiglioni or Sleeping Love, a sleeping Cupid. Um, okay. And it's been in my head all bloody week. i nice. be in the kitchen being like, so, 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 so. Like, it's funny, great. You're <laughs> I gonna beg love your it. pardon. You're going to bloody love it. It's <laughs> super cute. It's about asking, the text itself is about asking Cupid to stop sleeping okay. and get down here with those love arrows and find me a man, sort of thing. <laughs> uh, and my favourite thing about it is the final sentence, which says, mancava questo. Like, ugh. I really didn't need this. Well, like, okay, so she's like, Cupid, come down here. And then she's like, oh, I don't need you after all. No, she's like, oh, Cupid, like, where are I? FFS Cupid, like, <laughs> right. oh, I really didn't need this. I just want to, you know, get laid. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I just think that's that's really funny. And you know what? Even if you couldn't understand the lyrics, you could tell that it's supposed to be playful. Right. You're going to hear. Um, 
And as it goes on, it's playful, but it also gets like quite notably frustrated <laughs> at the fact that Cupid isn't appearing. We've all been there, of course, um, which is just testament to the fact that Barb's actually was a total master of word painting. She was really famous for it. She cared really deeply about bringing all those emotions out of those texts, probably because she grew up, you know, with her dad, who was like a poet. Nice. Um, and nice. yeah, and I really like this one. And I really, really enjoy this bloody jolly arrangement of it. <laughs> Let's hear it now. Pretty funky. <laughs> funky. Isn't that an absolute banger? I just absolutely love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so, like, it's clearly, it's jolly, it's annoyed, it's everything I want to be all the time. And uh, yeah, I just thought it was a great example of her. Mm. I think she has a lot of the other piece I played of hers in our Brock episode a few, I guess it was a couple of years ago now, actually, was Kessie Porfale, which is like, mm. oh, love, it's so difficult. I just want to be in love. Um, and this one is. It's a bit lighter. It's a bit lighter, isn't it? It's yeah. just a bit more fun so what else should we listen to if we want to hear some more of bab's bistros well i you know what i just think go out there and listen to more of her madrigals she was bloody good at writing them that's why Mm. she got so famous for it um and there are some really lovely um settings uh, of like poetry and various texts that she wrote herself as well she was just a super yeah she was super talented lady and just go exploring and enjoy this episode of That Classical Podcast is brought to you by Encoda. That's N-K-O-D-A. It's Encoda! Encoda is a sheet music subscription app that we absolutely love. There are 110,000 titles available across Encoda, which means over 30 million pages of music! Uh, It's got absolutely everything from musicals to pop to every imaginable classical piece. You can go crazy. Encoder is for everyone, so whether you're a professional musician or a total beginner, you can share music instantly and annotate your own scores directly within the app. And, as if all that weren't enough, That Classical Podcast listeners can get a free three-month trial to this amazing service. Just go to www.encoder.com forward slash thatclassical to sign up now. That's www.nkoda.com forward slash thatclassical for your free three-month trial. So the next composer we are going to talk about is another, you know, not super well-known, but if you're moving in Baroque circles, you might have heard of him. Regularly. Uh, He's a chap called Jean-Baptiste Lully. Mm, Okay. Heard of him before? Do you know, I think I might have heard like one piece at one time, but I don't know anything about him, mate. So, you know. Well, let me tell you all about him Mm. in 60 seconds. Yes. Right. Are you ready? I sure am. Are you steady? Go. 
Jean-Baptiste Lully, born 1632, died 1687. He was born Giovanni Battista Lully in Italy to a family of millers. Uh, he was spotted dancing around dressed as a clown, playing the violin as a teenager, taken to France to be the Italian language partner for the daughter of a French nobleman. Uh, in Ooh. France, he develops his musical skills, becomes a really good violinist, guitarist, and also a pretty nifty dancer. Uh, age 21, he attracts the attention of the young king Louis XIV because of his beautiful dancing in the Ballet of the Night, becomes the royal <laughs> composer for instruments and music, and over the next decade becomes a big dog in the royal household, Top eventually becomes head of the royal of all royal music mm-hmm. uh, gets given a little orchestra then later a big orchestra um, he was a frequent collaborator with the playwright Molière um, he becomes oh. head of the Académie Royale de Musique basically the royal opera and has an effective monopoly over all of French opera he produces a new opera every single year between 1673 and 1687 your boy is prolific by 1686 falls foul of Louis XIV Lully bit of a libertine likes having lots of sex uh, the king catches Lully having an affair with one of the king's young page boys so in 1686 <gasps> to show his displeasure Louis XIV Two made seconds. a point of not inviting him died in 1687 after stabbing himself in the foot. Oh! <laughs> okay, one second over a minute. I think I'll let that fly. All right, cool. Um, How does a kind of all right dancer become like the king's composer man? Tell me more. Okay, so, yeah, as I said, he was spotted in Italy dressed as like a harlequin playing mm. the violin, dancing around. A French nobleman was like, that's pretty funny. You're quite good <laughs> at the violin. Come and teach my daughter Italian in France. Bit and, punchy, yeah. Yeah, a bit weird. Yeah. And then Lily was like, all right, he was a teenager then. He was like, I like France, let's go to France. Fine. Then the this daughter of the nobleman was exiled from France after a while because there was basically around that time there were a bunch of mini civil wars happening in France. Oh, so she right. got exiled to the provinces. Awkward. Um, Lily was like, I don't want to do that. So he stays in France, basically. Yeah. And because he was already in these, like, French noble circles, he then went to this thing called the Ballet of the Night, which was basically everyone all danced for the king's ego. So Louis XIV, who was known as Le Roi Soleil, the Sun King, nice. they, basically he'd dress up like the sun and they'd all dance around the Ballet of the Night. Yes, I saw a ballet about it. Did you? Yeah, anyway, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, so... Um, Lully caught the king's eye there by being a really good dancer and he was like you you are therefore in charge of music for the front for the royal household now okay it's like okay cool <laughs> can you um, play music now it's like yeah sure why yeah. not uh and so yeah Lully was a bit of an odd guy basically so mm. he was a real sort of social climber so he came from a very humble background as i mentioned he came from a family of italian millers who like ground mm. flour mm. And he sort of pretended that he wasn't Italian. So, like I said, he changed his name from Giovanni Battista Lully to Jean-Baptiste Lully to just pretend he wasn't Italian. Naughty, yeah. And then when he eventually did get married, um, I mean, arguably big sham marriage because he probably was gay. Okay. Um, but he declared himself on the marriage certificate as Jean-Baptiste Lully, son of Laurent de Lully, who was a gentilhomme florentin, a Florentine <gasps> gentleman. And it was basically like an open secret. And I was like, well, I mean, no, you're not. You're obviously just this like random Italian bloke. I am and he was an like, Italian man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like, no, no, I am a French man. Hello. <laughs> it's like when Madonna puts on an English accent and we're like, we know That's... you're not English. It's okay. Just calm down. That's exactly it. But he yeah. just like, it was like, no, no, my name is Christophe Blonde. That is my real name. Right. Anyway, uh, so he. Really got in, got in good with the king, with Louis XIV. Right. Uh, became one of his faves. Right. And um, yeah, then eventually had a bit too much sex with slightly too many people. Okay. So the king was like, maybe not, pal. So that brings me on to the first piece that I'm going to talk about. Wait, he died by stabbing himself in the foot. <laughs> Wait, 
<laughs> you can't just let that go. We can't. And I will come on to okay. that later okay, in the second sorry. piece we talk about. Fine. It's going to get medical. Oh, I can't wait. Okay, sorry. Please continue. So the first piece I'm going to talk about is an opera that he wrote. And this opera is called Phaeton, and he wrote it in 1683. So one thing Lully was, amongst being a massive social climber, was a real innovator. So uh-huh. he, as well as worming his way up to the head of royal music, Squirming, yeah. he became the head of the Royal Academy of Music in France, basically, which was sort of a made-up institution for him. He was like, and I am in charge of it. Uh, okay. As head of this academy, he essentially invented a new musical style, uh, which was called a tragédie en musique. A Tragedy in Music, nice. uh, which sort of synthesised drama and ballet and music. So drama and ballet were sort of more artistically revered at the time. Mm-hmm. And he was like, all right, going to put some music in into there as well. Okay. So uh, this opera, as with many operas, has a slightly odd plot. <laughs> so it's taken from Ovid's Metamorphoses. So Ovid was a Roman poet. And this story is about a young chap named Phaeton, who was mm-hmm. the son of the sun, Budum Tush. (laughs) But he was like, oh, dad, the sun. My friends don't believe me that you, the sun, are my dad. Um, And so Helios, the sun god, was like, oh, what? I'll I'll do anything for you to prove to your pals that you are the son of the sun. And so Phaeton was like, great, I'm prideful and reckless. Let me ride your chariot across the sky, which drags the sun. And so Helios was like, oh, no, that's that's bad because the horses are made of fire. They're very powerful yeah. and you gonna die, basically. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah. And Phaeton was like, no, 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 it's cool. I'll be fine. And then he was like, oh, well, I've, I've promised you that you can do anything. So, all right, fine, I guess you can do that. It's not going to end well, is it? It doesn't end no, well, does it? No. As with fairly predictable results he <laughs> takes the chariot up into the sky the horses because they're usually used to having the weight of the sun in the chariot and it's just a human standing in there so they don't feel any weight so they're like what there is no one in the chariot so they go berserk oh. he gets smashed all over oh dear. then jupiter eventually is like oh well the sun's going a bit skew if mm. gonna throw a thunderbolt brings the chariot down to earth fire on dead end of opera oh god yeah pretty sad anyway take a bow (laughs) let's have a listen to the overture of this opera it's pretty grand it's pretty baroque you're gonna love it Baroque paint by numbers, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it is. It, 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 um, I wouldn't say it necessarily knocks my socks off. That's fair enough. I, yeah, I must admit too that I'm more interested in Lully for his insane life story than necessarily and his music. Also, just classic you too, because um, you don't like opera. You've chosen the overture to an opera, and not an aria. The only bit of an I opera that was not singing. Yeah, <laughs> that um, was quite telling. <laughs> but yeah, so this opera is particularly interesting because it also sort of underlines his social climbiness. Okay. So 
he, as I mentioned very briefly in the 60-second biog, uh, he had a monopoly over opera. So no one else for a good like couple of decades in France was allowed to produce operas. He was the only guy what? who could write operas. Yeah, because he sort of climbed his way to the top and then like was fairly, mm. yeah, fairly ruthlessly <laughs> stamped out opposition. Oh my God. He, um, he was... Not just because of that, he was sort of the archetype for many modern conductors. So, like, he was the first conductor of an orchestra to do sort of um, a synchronised bow with the whole orchestra at the end of a performance. Oh, that's very nice. He was the first one to come at that. Okay. Anyway, that's just a little side note that popped into my head. Very good. Uh, but, so this story was chosen particularly to flatter Louis XIV because he's the Sun King right. and this whole opera the story is basically like don't you try and be the Sun no one's as You're great as the Sun you're gonna die in a fiery the hole. Sun is the best right. aka the Sun King is the best Got we it. love you Louis mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, fairly calculated. I think it's quite nice, quite good, not my total favorite kind of no. music mm-hmm. but um interesting. So that's Phaeton by Lully. One, two. Now, before we go on, we want to say a massive thank you to all of our generous patrons. Thank you so much for your support. It really does mean the world to us. Absolutely. And if you want to become a patron of the show, head over to www.patreon.com forward slash that classical podcast. When you're there, you can get all sorts of amazing goodies. You get extra episodes of the show, you get merch, you get behind the scenes stuff, you get blooper reels. Not only all of that, but you get a shout out on the show. So we'd now like to take the opportunity to say a big thank you to David Urbagasto, Scott Wilson, Emily McVeigh, Megan Rose Barron, Paola Tazzioli, Ellen Chadwick, Florian Jonas, and Gonzalo Viquera. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, so earlier I promised slash warned you that it was going to get a little bit medical. I love being promised slash warned. Um, Oh, just the foot! (laughs) Yes! Oh, please tell me everything. Not just the foot. So, heads up, if you're eating, maybe just stop eating for the next, like, five minutes of podcast. (laughs) Um, So, the next piece I'm going to talk about is, uh, was originally composed in 1677 and is called Te Deum, which is just a sort of religious motet that he wrote. He did, I think, 12 over the course of his life. Okay. But the interesting thing about this is King Louis in the sort of mid 1680s uh, started to have some health problems. Mm-hmm. Now, I haven't been able to quite confirm what the health problem was that led up to this whole situation happening. Okay. So either he had um, a fistula on his buttocks, ah. mm, uh, which um, the surgeons to get it out basically had to practice on loads of healthy people before they felt that they could Are do it you on the king. Joking? So. Either he had a fistula or he had a really bad toothache. That's quite different, isn't uh, it? Uh, just hold on. When the doctors <laughs> tried to pull the tooth, they were so bad at it and so clumsy, they broke off a piece of his jaw and then they tried to cauterize it with a red hot iron, which understandably made him a lot sicker than he was before. Oh. Um, so either way, we're not entirely sure which of these... And that gave him the fistula, <laughs> which then gave him the... Okay, can we just promise to stop <laughs> saying the word fistula? I thought you were just going to say gout. Uh, this is no, no, far more no, exciting. No, this is, this is really bad. So yeah. either way, Louis XIV had some medical problems. With his butt. That lots, maybe his butt, maybe mm. his jaw. Mm. And everyone in his court was like... He's probably on death's door. He's not doing so well. However, he sort of had a miraculous recovery and... (laughs) 
and like Bloody came hell. back to full health. That's impressive back in that day. Yeah, I know, right? Did anyone have a miraculous recovery <laughs> apart from him? I think if anyone's going to have a chance, it's going to be a very wealthy king. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Anyway, so to celebrate his recovery, everyone was like, woo, yeah. And Lully took this piece that he wrote in 1677, rearranged it a bit uh, so that all 300 of the musicians who were in situ at the court would perform it. And right. It was sort of like big grand piece of music to be like, hooray, mm-hmm. yay, the mm-hmm. king's alive. Yeah. However, um, so again, there's like slightly varying accounts of how this happened. So conductors at the time didn't have a baton like modern conductors do. So modern conductors have that really thin bit of wood Mm -hmm. that they use to conduct. Uh, Conductors at the time would either have a rolled up piece of paper in their hand that they would wave to keep the uh, orchestra in time. Nice. Or they would have a staff they would like beat on the ground. (gasps) I see where this is going. (laughs) Keep them in time. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so... Lully, during uh, either a rehearsal or the performance, it's again disputed when exactly this happened, he was beating time with this stick oh <laughs> on the floor. Oh my god. Um, and basically speared himself in the foot How with it. How sharp was the stick? Probably Pretty quite sharp. sharp, yeah. Or even maybe not that sharp, you like, but either way, he Rammed like broke the, broke the skin, like gave himself a nick on the foot. Oh. And as you may recall, he uh, he was pretty twinkle toes, was old Lully. Oh, he liked to dance. Yes. yes. And so the doctors were like, mate, it's the 1600s. We've not got anything approaching hygienic <laughs> stuff. We're going to have to amputate this foot. You are kidding me. Yeah, 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 You're joking. And he was like, absolutely not. You're not taking my foot. Do not. I've got, I've got the moves. Yeah. I can dance. You cannot take this away from me. Yeah. And they were like, well, yeah, all right, fine. We're not going to amputate your foot then. However, his foot then got gangrenous. The gangrene spread <gasps> through his entire body to his brain, and that's what killed him in the end. No! He killed himself through a conducting accident. No way! Oh, poor guy! And he didn't want to lose his foot! Didn't want to lose his foot, but... um. Wow, so if you're conducting, be careful out there, Be lads. very careful. Yeah. Um. Well, let's have a listen to the piece (laughs) now (laughs) and we can see if it was worth it, you know? little crunchy chords in there oh, some nice crunchy chords yeah oh. so he can do baroque paint by numbers but he was also actually quite that good was, I, I am genuinely pleasantly surprised all right good I, I i think that was really 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 nice yeah very pretty good. all right i'm glad to hear it uh any more to tell me about it uh yeah well i mean clearly it was worth stabbing himself on the foot and dying there well for. Yes. um one great thing that i found in my research about Lily was um so, you know, your favourite film of all time? Amadeus. Amadeus. Yes. <laughs> uh, they've basically made one of those for Lully. Oh, my 
my god it's I, th- I don't know if it was ever released in cinemas or if it's direct to tv but it's a french film called le roi danse the king dances what yes that's what that's the ballet i saw called the king dances really yeah. oh my god yeah brilliant it was lovely i had no idea that Sad that well. was also a yeah. film as well but brilliant. um it's amazing so they've got this guy playing lily in like really bad aging makeup so Incredible. it's like his face looks all like plastic and crinkly <laughs> and the scene where this happens is so melodramatic it's sort of like the music swells and you see him and they've got like a really really pointy stuff and you see him like banging on the floor and banging on the floor and then it's slow motion and then it goes all blurry in slow motion and you just hear like a woman screaming in the audience it's like no and then it's like hard cuts to him in sort of a darkened room with doctors like pinning him down to a table and he's like no my leg it's so melodramatic it's amazing we'll share that on is it on YouTube yeah we'll share that on our social medias to have a look at in terms of what else you can listen to by Lully he's got a fair few operas he's got Alceste Tese have a little nosy round they're all sort of along the same lines you know they all sound pretty baroque cool lots of harpsichords the Te Deum is a really nice piece there's four movements so we just listen to the fourth movement of it would definitely recommend giving that a listen as with Bistros Barbara Strozzi have a look around let us know what you find Uh, definitely worth diving a little bit into Uh, enjoy and watch your feet that classical podcast so that was our episode on Strozzi and Luli. Two kind of small fish in the Baroque pool, I would say. But we've elevated them to a massive, large Baroque fish. Safely. <laughs> um, yeah, so if you enjoyed it, please do let us know and let us know your favourite Baroque composers as well. And actually, if you'd like us to cover a certain... Um, time period or composer or instrument in our episodes please let us know mm. we are down for some requests i think aren't absolutely we? and where can they contact us christopher bland well they can find us on twitter we are at that classical we're on instagram at that classical insta you can email us that classical email at gmail.com but if you don't want to remember all that just head to www.thatclassicalpodcast.com where you can find everything. And if you want to listen to any of the pieces we've played today or in our old episodes, head to Spotify and you can find our playlist. It's just called That Classical Podcast. You can do the maths on that one. But otherwise, see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.